0: We live in such a culture obsessed with productivity. It's the antithesis of being present. It doesn't mean that being present means that you're not productive. It just means you're productive on more meaningful things. Like there's there's a poster that I used to see at a a workplace that I used to work, a a tech company that you all might've heard of before. And it says, don't mistake motion for progress. And it's the the picture on the poster was a rocking horse, which I thought was a perfect, <laughs> perfect example of how being in motion doesn't mean you're getting somewhere. It just means you're moving.
1: Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davy. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And I help other people do the same every waking moment of my life. <laughs> Snow's around you, children play I don't know the freaking words. It's a season for love and understanding. Merry Christmas, 1,000 days sober, listener. Do-do-do-do. I think this might be uh, the uh, last episode before Christmas. I don't know. It might not be. But if it is, what a wonderful person to lead you out with. And I just want to say, folks, December 18th, Beautiful opportunity for you to learn more about anxiety. Anxiety is one of the main reasons that we end up drinking the bottle. Okay, so learning more about anxiety, how it works, what is it, how does it show up in our relationships, what tools that we can put in place to kind of dial down the volume and live with this most beautifully misunderstood uh, emotion or feeling or whatever you want to call it. If you want to learn more about it, I am running a two hour workshop, December 18th, between 11 and 1 o'clock. Okay, 11 and 1 o'clock, PST. That's the morning, folks, not nighttime, not that crazy. If you want to get involved in that, then either email us at 1kdaysober at gmail.com. That's one, the number one. Or you can go to our website, www.1000daysober.com, and you will find a workshop tab, and you can sign up there. The price is $37, $37. Give yourself an early Christmas present and learn some more about what we're doing. Better still, give it as a gift to somebody else, okay? Love to see you there. Be absolutely fantastic. If you had time and you're feeling in the Christmas spirit, please rate and review this podcast wherever you are, even better. Give it as a gift to somebody else. Tell somebody else, look, this guy, Lee Davy kind of knows what he's on about. Go listen to him. He might have some nuggets there that might change your life, right? Go and tell somebody else about this podcast. All right. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Tyler Watson, okay? So we live in a bustling world where everybody is like a robot on autopilot. We're too busy working and trying to be productive, that we're not really aware of our surroundings and ourselves, right? In worrying so much about reaching a destination, we disregard the process of actually getting there. In this episode, Tyler Watson talks about the practice of mindfulness and the importance of being in the moment. He shares how small moments build our presence and how purpose contributes to being genuinely productive. He describes our urges and desires and mindfulness perspectives and how to build a tolerance mindset against them. If you want to learn more about awareness and mindfulness, then this episode is for you. Episode highlights include Tyler's most recent transitional moment, presence and mindfulness, how to become truly present, stillness and productivity, the mindfulness perspective of dealing with desires and urges, the difference between boredom and mindfulness, and developing a distress tolerance skill. Tyler holds a doctorate of psychology, um, has experience in practicing for nearly a decade as a licensed clinical psychologist, primarily in university counseling centers and in both health centers and private practice, serving the stressed out tech employees working for the biggest companies in Silicon Valley. He more recently um, has transferred his therapy skills into life coaching. Okay. And if you want to work with this guy and become more mindful, then get over to www.1000daysober.com. Dot com podcast page tyler watson find all the links to this beautiful man's work so without further ado i'm going to shut the hell up leave you in the capable hands of tyler watson and i wish every single one of you an amazing and amazing christmas and when you're done eating all that pie and eating all that pudding okay send me an email and ask me how to choose yourself so you can sign up to do the strive method for addictions we would love to have you in group format or in personal coaching take care of yourself bye Yo 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 yo! David, my friend Tyler Watson. How's
0: it going? Is it Watson or
1: Watson? Watson. Watson. Tyler Watson.
0: Watson. It's much it's more big boring day. than that.
1: <laughs> it's a big day, Tyler. I just I just waved bye bye to my praying mantis.
0: What, what do you mean?
1: I just put the the net that I he's like kept in his big net, and uh-huh. I just put it. I put it. Well, I watched my octopus friend on Netflix. Oh. Have you seen it? My Octopus Teacher? Yeah, yeah, My Octopus Teacher. Yeah. Oh, man. So I (laughs) watched that, and then I just released one mantis straight away, and then this guy just wouldn't leave. And then I even started to befriend my cockroach. I saw a cockroach in my house, and then I was like, I wonder if that cockroach understands me. (laughs) 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 And I haven't been like this since I've become vegan. When I turned vegan... I have a, like this fear of wasps. I turned vegan. I was in Las Vegas in a swimming pool, and it was full of wasps. And I was I was pulling them out with my hand, not afraid that they would sting me. I was saving the wasps. Well, these days I fe- feed them to my praying mantis. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <Circle> of life. <laughs> I, I'm in touch. I'm in touch. I'm in touch with the world. How are you doing, yeah. Tyler? Anyway,
0: I am doing really well. Really well. It's so good to see your face. I haven't seen you in a while.
1: No, no, it's been a while. For uh, those listening, me and Tyler, we uh, we met in a coaching container called Kaboom! And I uh, highly recommend it. If anybody wants to grow their uh, coaching business, Kaboom, uh, just reach out to me and I'll find a way in for you. So, yeah, what have you been up to? What have you been doing? What have you been learning? Yeah, what's the last book you read?
0: The last book that I read, well, I'm working on a book called... Mindfulness, a Practical Guide to Awakening Mm. by the great Joseph Goldstein. So I'm in the middle of that. It's like this, it's so big, it's so thick. Before that, I don't know. I'm one of those people who always has like five different books going at the same time. Yeah. I I know you do something similar. I don't read like on quite the agenda that you do. <laughs> but like, I always have a lot of books going at once. So I don't remember what the last book was that I finished.
1: What's I the know. last light bulb moment you had reading a book? I mean, it might be in the one you've been reading. Like, you know, when we highlight something, I was like, oh, I never thought of it like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not putting you on the spot a little bit, but particularly yeah. in mindfulness or anything related yeah. to your coaching business.
0: I think the the most... Recent light bulb moment, or the most transformative moment for me recently, was when I was reading about kind of like walking meditation. Mm-hmm. and he he was talking about kind of these transitional moments going from sitting to standing, and using those transition moments of the process of actually standing up from a sitting position. Using those as moments to be aware of your sensations, your surroundings, the present moment as a way to create more continuity um, so that it's not just like I'm mindful of sitting and then I become mindful of walking or standing. It's like, can I create a common thread of awareness through that entire process? It was just very, every time I stand up from sitting, I'm well, not every time, I'm getting better Mm. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm starting to notice more are those moments of transition. It's really cool.
1: Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute because I think it's a really important important point. But for people listening, what is walking meditation? Isn't it the same as walking? And What's the difference? So walking
0: meditation, at least from a, a mindfulness perspective, like a mindful walking exercise or process would just be being aware of the process of walking while you're walking. You're walking anyway. How many times are our minds kind of like drifting ahead to a, the destination while we're on our way there, instead of just noticing, "Hey, what's actually around me in this moment mm. <laughs> before I get to the destination? Can I appreciate this moment of movement, of process?"
1: And why? Um, why is that important? <laughs> that was me that um, was my tree that was my tree pose it just completely evaporate so
0: accidentally fall over <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was my right. really crap tree pose god why yeah why why is it important to like be paying attention to stuff i tell you what let me let me let me yeah. do this a different way i so see you put more context right, on right. it so me and you were in a group where we would, co- we would uh, communicate via Marco Polo, right? Yes. Which is a, a video recording app, folks. Yeah. So what I would do, thinking I was being efficient, is I would wait until nighttime, go for a two-mile run, and I would listen to people's polos, and then I would record my responses while I'm running. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've since been told by numerous people that's not the way to do things. So where am I being yeah. inefficient in life? And I, because bearing in mind, I think I'm being efficient. Where am I leaking efficiency there?
0: Oh, wow. There's a lot.
1: (laughs) Go for it. Give
0: it to Um, me. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was one of the things when I would listen to your messages, I would be very distracted by the sound of the running, but also the visual of the running. And I always thought like, wow, wouldn't, wouldn't his run be more enjoyable if he were just running? Mm. Or wouldn't he... It wasn't that you weren't thoughtful. In fact, I don't know how you did it to do the two things at once. I'm a horrible multitasker. I didn't think anything was missing from what you had to say. But I was wondering, like, how does he do this? I would get so confused and lost in my train of thought if I were doing such intense things, so many intense things all at once. So I would say where you were missing in productivity might have been the fact that it took you so long to say what you were trying to say <laughs> because you were having to gasp for breath. But yeah, where are you missing? I don't know. You would have to observe your own experience in order to find out where you're missing those moments of productivity.
1: The big feedback that I got back, which relates, I guess, to mindfulness, and, uh, is um, that I was lacking presence for people. Mm. so 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 people would show up sit down look in the camera and dedicate that time just for me but i'm running and i'm giving messages to people responding to people and then some people were saying to me oh wow like it feels like you're not interested in me i'm an mm. afterthought that comes with the running mm. so so then i'm like okay i want to stop that because that that then i fall out of a lot that's an integrity breach for me because i'm not actually meaning mm. that but when you get the feedback." You have yeah. to pay attention. So, so for me, presence and mindfulness. Talk about those two things.
0: Presence and mindfulness. They are, I mean, they're one and the same. Mindfulness takes it a bit further, but it starts with presence. Like, And it's meant to kind of pull you into the present. To be present means that I am kind of observing and interacting with things as they are in this moment being present to the unfolding, like this conversation, I could be trying to think ahead of what I'm going to answer for the next question that I think you might ask me. Mm. But if, if, if my mind is there, it's my, my attention is split. And so I can't fully actually invest in my answer to this question or, or even read your body language in this moment, because my my attention is, is is split. It's in Mm. too many different places at once there is an aspect of mindfulness that is not just present, but it's also open to the present and and accepting and allowing of the present. So that involves discomfort and joy at the same time, whatever is present. It's not just about appreciating or having fun with the present moment. It's also about, can I allow this moment of For instance, anxiety, I noticed myself, I I sat down and did a little five-minute mindful practice before I hopped on here. I was like, wow, my heart rate is starting to increase. I know that I'm about to do something important, something meaningful. That's Mm. what that means to me. Um, And I was like, wow. Uh, And I tried to intentionally reframe that as like, huh, these sensations are really letting me know that I'm alive in this moment. I am definitely alive. I can feel it. So, so I don't know how much of that gets to what you're you're asking, but those are just a few thoughts. Like it's so so vast that I I think it would take hours to fully describe it.
1: But it, um, it to me, it uh, it links in you know quite nicely to like addictive uh, behaviors, and uh, so a good example, like for me, is let's say I. I sit down to have a conversation with my wife, or maybe I'm not having a conversation with. she's just come to talk to me and I'm in the middle of something maybe. So then I have a decision about how to face that, right? I can, I can say, oh, uh, this is not a good time right now. Or I, or I can just stop what I'm doing, pay attention to her. Or I can keep doing what I'm doing and pay attention to her. But even when I stop doing what I'm doing, I can look at her and I can listen to her, but I might not be thinking, right? Right. So, the reason that's important is because, like in my relationship, and I'm sure it would show up in other people's relationships, if that continues to be your modus operandi, then your wife is going to feel a lack of trust when it comes to sitting down and talking to you. So, developing mm-hmm. presence with somebody it becomes super important because let's let's follow that through she doesn't trust you she sits right. down she tries to trust you so she's vulnerable you breach that vulnerability by you know do playing to play into form and not really paying attention to her she either stonewalls or gets angry because she's anxious. Mm-hmm. You, that then triggers your shame. You then get angry with her, and then you go and drink or shoot up or uh, gamble or watch pornography or whatever you do to deal with your shame and to deal with your anger, which all comes back to if I was present in the moment. Mm-hmm. So how do you become present if your modus operandi is a lack of presence?
0: I mean, there. Uh, are you asking more of like a practical, like exercise or activity-based
1: question? Like, what's a what's a practical exercise you can do? Or even even, like the- even broader than that. So, someone listening to this, like, especially like the type of guy that I am. So, people listening to this, is the type of guy that I am, right? Like a mm-hmm. red personality type. I need to get from A to B as quick as I fucking can, and everybody get better, get on my way, right? Like it's power. It's like that's the thing. So if if my, wife says, if my wife makes me aware that my lack of presence is causing a rift in our relationship, that's going to create shame. I don't want that. So my mentality is give me the fucking pill. Give me the pill or give me the book I have to read or give me the course I have to take in order for me to fix this problem. So mm-hmm. let's start there. How practical is that philosophy in my mind that this could just be fixed? Instant gratification, addictive behavior.
0: Ooh. I like to frame things from an existential point of view. And so for me, a helpful framing of all of this is what is the final destination for all of us? It's this guy right here. (laughs) Dead man. In the end, like, what are we racing towards? It's like we have a limited amount of time in our lives And the way I rush towards that destination of like just getting shit done is probably the same way I'm rushing towards the destination of like, I will eventually end up not alive because that's the way we all end up. Can I appreciate the journey? Can I appreciate the moments in between those big moments? You know, there are small moments and there are big moments. There's the example of like, the teacher who has like a jar and they start filling it with golf balls and they ask the class, like, is this jar full? i are like, Oh yeah, it is. I'm like, okay, well, wait a moment. So then they pour in a bunch of marbles and that starts to fill in the gaps between the golf balls. They're like, is it full now? I'm like, yeah. So wait a minute. They pour in some sand and the sand starts filling in the gaps between the marbles and they start to get it. And then they fill it with water. No, I think the I think the punchline is they fill it with beer.
1: Which isn't great. For, don't go doing this exercise yeah. at home, people.
0: But the point being, like, life is not just the big moments. Life is all of the moments. It's the big moments. It's the in-between moments. It's the little things. And so, even that process of like, oh, I need to work through this. I can't just take a pill to get rid of this. I need to actually work through this. There's something to maybe be learned through the journey and through the process that it takes to get there. Mm. It's not all about. I mean, it's super cliche, but it is really about the journey, not the destination. Again, the destination mm. for all of us is non-existing. So,
1: <laughs> I like that view. It reminded it reminds me of like a scene that I constantly raise when i'm talking helping people with their relationships because we have the strive method for addictions but we also have the strive method for relationships and that Mm -hmm. is like when we become disconnected with our partners like Mm -hmm. the the solution isn't um let's book a a around the world trip for two for eight weeks it's it's literally hey do you want a 30 minute break of taking care of sebastian or Picking up the stuff that's on yeah, the floor that somebody else usually picks up and just clenching her shoulder and just giving her a little rub, doing the dishes, asking her if she wants a snack, making her a cup of tea when you're not, when you've made your own, like little things and those combinations of little things is, I guess, as building your presence yeah. and at the same time alerting her to the fact that you are or him to the fact that you are you're aware, like you you are present. They feel it, right? And they're gonna respond very differently. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. There's this concept of equanimity in kind of like the Buddhist and mindfulness kind of worldview. And equanimity really is in a sense treating every moment and every experience in kind of an equal, even-handed, balanced way. Mm. That no moment is better than the next. Whether this moment is unpleasant, whether it's pleasant, whether it's celebratory, whether it feels like the depths of despair, every moment is a valid moment to be experienced. And so doing the dishes is such an act of love and care and concern. And it may not seem as big as buying the -the round-the-world trip, but I bet your wife appreciates it and probably appreciates it at times. More than these grand gestures that can't possibly be sustainable on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. But I bet dishes is.
1: Yeah, just keep you keep your ears to the ground to kind of listen yeah. and be observant and present of what is. What are the pain points in your partner's life, and yeah. and and then try to kind of ease some of those. I mean, definitely mm-hmm. is a win. Shall I shall I tell you what I'm doing at the moment in order for me to get more present and then you can yeah. you can let me yeah. know what you, what you think. Yeah. So for, for me changing so like I, I i look at myself as um like i often compare myself to a, a, an artificial intelligent robot. So like if you, if okay. i if i was created by some mad scientist there would be a motherboard in there somewhere. Alexa stop. You have Alexa. someone in your house you have someone in yeah. your house called Alexa. <laughs> I love it.
0: What was she just about to do? I she was going to remind me of something. I need to put some neem oil on my elephant ear plant. Ah. It's got some spider mites. It's got some spider mites. And as much as I love nature and I love insects and I protect as many as I can, once they start causing damage, they've got to go.
1: When they your plants, they've you got to go. Well, this is good timing, seeing <laughs> what you said, because, yeah, I was going back to my motherboard and I'll, <laughs> I'll tie into your spider plant in a minute. So I have, I have this motherboard, the, the rules of how Lee Davy operates, my personality. Yep. And it's been created over, we could say it's been created over 45 years, but like New York is, it was created probably in my first, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years. I don't know, right? So I have a a 98% subconscious way of like dealing with life like everybody else does. And for me, when it comes to being present or not, I'm not, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not not present for people. I'm very self-centered, very egoic, very in my own shit. I just Mm -hmm. think about myself. I'm going to make a cup of tea. I have to think hard to ask, does anybody else want one? Mm. Like I, I have to remind myself to ring my, my son and to tell him that I love him, not that I don't love him. I just have to, re- I have a need to remind it, right? Mm. So the way that I've been trying to overcome this is twofold. So one is something that we picked up in Kaboom, which is joy alarms. Mm. So every, mm. every two hours, and I, and I tell all of my clients to do this, every two hours I check in with myself And I ask how I'm feeling and then I get present in that moment and I offer gratitude for that moment. And Mm -hmm. I celebrate, celebrate the shit out of everything I've got. So I'm doing that every two hours. Right. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I started doing is I have a calendar. So I'm a to-do list guy, but I put the word intention before everything. Now Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not 100% doing this. Like I didn't do it before the call because I ran from one call to another, but that in itself helps that I have this because it shows me I'm doing something wrong. But mm. it says intention before everything. So I have to settle down and I have to set an attention before I do something. So let's mm. say I am meeting you normally. It, would, it does say intention, Tyler. So I would then be like, okay, I'm going to spend 10 minutes connecting with Tyler or 10 minutes focusing on this task. Mm. So, that is the way that I'm slowly bringing myself into present awareness. And I I I think it's working. I love that. Yeah. Mm. I hadn't thought of something like that, but I I love that. Yeah. Well, maybe you didn't think about it because it's natural for you.
0: Maybe, maybe sometimes, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: I try to be as intentional
0: as possible, Mm. but I mean, we're all operating out of our unconscious a lot of the time. That's just the way we work. That's the way we're that's the way we're designed. We're not designed to have to think through every step that we take. Can you imagine driving a car if you had to think about every single step every single time?
2: Yeah, yeah about exactly. what it's
0: like to find the ignition, put the key in, turn it, and to be consciously making that each micro decision each time. That's ridiculous. So we're not designed, we're designed to make, to come up with cognitive shortcuts and do things on autopilot. So if you're doing that, you're doing really well at the way you're, the the way you were designed. That's also kind of a primal design. It's not really designed to make you happy. It's just designed to make you get by in the world and survive and, and reproduce.
1: That's all it's designed for. We're just animals, like those things Absolutely. killing your spider plant. But that, the reason a spider plant is important is you've got Alexa reminding you to do things. You know, it's, it, we're, we're having, we've got hacks and it's yep. important to leverage those hacks.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I would even consider mindfulness and mindfulness practice a hack. Mm. It's a way of hacking your own untrained mind, using the mind to train the mind, as they say. To get out of autopilot more often, you will only, as they call them, enlightened beings are not on autopilot. But the rest of us, we're on autopilot a good deal of the time, and we're just trying to not be in autopilot 100 of the time.
1: Yeah, a good uh, good uh, colleague of mine actually in my coaching program, I was I was kept complaining about time. I don't have Mm. enough time. Don't have enough time. Don't have enough time. And, um, she, she made me understand that what I needed was not more time. I needed to learn to be still Mm. a little little bit like what you're saying. Don't go for a run and listen to a podcast. Don't go for, so I've been thinking I need to go for a run and listen to a podcast because otherwise I'm wasting my run. Whereas I'm Mm. being told, no, just go for a run. No, just go for a walk. No, just sit down and do nothing and stare at the wall. Like for someone like me, my type A personality, it's going to help me more if I learn to incorporate stillness rather than learn to incorporate more stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, my internet connection is not... It just said it was unstable. You were cutting out a bit. I caught what um, you were saying. I get Just you. in case. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting it, you. That at some point. No, um, good. So yeah. Remind me of the last thing you said because that... Was disruptive enough that I missed the last.
1: What was I talking about?
0: You were talking about how you (laughs) need to be focused on one thing at a time, and this this colleague.
1: I was was, a joke. I was a joke.
0: Oh, listen, I'm a therapist at heart. (laughs) I
1: I just wanted to show. I just wanted to show people how terribly um, lacking in presence I am, even on a even on a conversation about presence. Now I have completely lost my train of thought. Yes, being still.
0: Doing one thing at a time.
1: Not not worrying about running from one task to the next task, thinking Reading that I, I'm, I'm filling that white space with mm-hmm. stuff. So yep. I got 15 minutes between Tyler and the next thing. What I'll do is bang out an Instagram post.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: No, no, no. We got Tyler. Then we're going to be seeing someone else. And then between then, just, just relax go kiss your kid, make a cup of tea, uh, sit in silence, whatever, right? Like all of that stuff is yeah. practicing mindfulness. Yeah.
0: yeah, we live in such a culture obsessed with productivity. It's the antithesis of being present. It doesn't mean that being present means that you're not productive. It just means you're productive on more meaningful things. Like there's there's a poster that I used to see at a, a workplace that I used to work a tech company that you all might've heard of before. And it says, don't mistake motion for progress. And it's the, the picture on the poster was a rocking horse, which I thought was a perfect, Mm. (laughs) perfect example of how being in motion doesn't mean you're getting somewhere. It just means you're moving. It just means you're, you're in motion, which can be fun if you want to ride a rocking horse. Mm. If that's your intention, but if your intention is actually to get somewhere, I bet you're probably not going to hop on your rocking horse. You're probably going to hop on something that's both productive and meaningful to the intention and the purpose that you have.
1: Yeah, I have a very similar story. I was in a a Six Sigma training course back in my corporate days, and we, we worked in a group to create a post office. So we had invisible letters that had to go through the system. And they told you how it operated and gave everybody a role.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, then you, and then after you did it, you had, to, you had to nominate who the busiest person was. And let's just say it was Tyler. So Tyler's role was the busiest. Mm-hmm. And then you were asked to change everything and make it more effective rather than busy. And mm-hmm. then we did it. And actually, Tyler's role didn't even exist. So in one aspect, you're looking at mm-hmm. it and the organization's thinking, we really need Tyler because he's so, so busy. Yeah, but then when you get more effective at organizing things, you realize that there's a big difference between busyness and effectiveness. The reason yeah. I'm saying that is, you know, because like you want to eliminate me. We want to eliminate you. Yeah, um, I get in it. A, in addiction, I'm always saying like, "Got to do the work, got to do the work, got to do the work." But there's two things to think about. That there is uh, that I probably need to push more often. Is one the difference between effectiveness and busyness? But mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. This word submission, so we interviewed a guy called Orpheus Black lately, and he he was talking about submission. He's a a dominant in the BDSM world, or he calls it the kink world. So he wrote this book called The Enso. And of course, he's a dominant, so he has submissives. So Mm -hmm. when I was reading the book, he was talking about submission. I was thinking, oh, this is going to be really interesting. This is going to be about sex. I'm really interested in this. And it was nothing to do with sex. It was about the power of submission and surrender, which as you're talking and we're talking about stillness and chilling out and mindfulness and presence. It feels the same. It's kind of like submission, surrender. It's the same. Really? So instead of saying to someone who's given up drinking, right, you've got to do this, you 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 got to do this, which I do, there also yeah. needs to there also needs to be, yeah. but when your triggers come up, so these we got meditation and mindful practice in into interspersed with the doing, like mm-hmm. growing and the growth that we need to do. But then when the trigger comes, it's almost like, let's not fight this trigger, let's submit to it. Right. So I want to bring you in there because so many, I feel for me, addiction, the story around addiction is complicated and convoluted and difficult. So people believe that it is so challenging to quit anything. Right. Yet I gave up both cigarettes and I gave up alcohol after reading a freaking book and not desiring any either right how is mm. that possible mm. how is that possible like mm. to me there must have been some form of unconscious submission that mm. okay here comes that feeling that i'm that uh, that is going to tell me that it wants me to drink but i'm not going to believe the story in the drama that mm. i can't handle this. So i'm not going to believe the story in the drama that it is too difficult i'm just gonna come on let's fucking have it and then i feel it and i'm like what the fuck was that is that the best you got yeah. So so I'm so I'm I'm submitting. I'm not fighting resistance. I'm just I'm like rope a dope. I'm like, come on, give it to me. And then I'm realizing, well, I can take this. Mm-hmm. So talk about that a little bit. Like for people who are right. really struggling with uh giving into triggers, like what is going on and and how capable or incapable are human beings of dealing with this?
0: Yeah. So when I when I think about this from a, a mindfulness perspective, what comes to mind is this image of, and you've probably heard of this in the addiction literature, just urge surfing, this concept of urge surfing. I think that imagery of, of waves is so powerful. And I think one thing that we have to understand is that we all experience desire and urge all the time. And I mean, According to the Buddha, that is the cause of our suffering is the fact that we desire <laughs> things. Mm-hmm. we desire what we what feels good, and we desire to not have what doesn't feel good. And so we all experience this phenomenon of desire and urge, and this imagery of the wave is is kind of like, have you ever had an itch that you just felt like you couldn't get to? Like maybe I, I know as a kid you know i grew up in the midwest where it would snow and we would go out and play in the snow but we would have to get so bundled up that if i had an itch on my leg there was no way i was going to be able to get to that itch to scratch yeah, it yeah. and i would like bang on my leg and try anything to try to to scratch that itch and that is kind of like an urge that you can't satisfy but eventually i'm not sitting here with an itch from from way back then like yeah. that that urge, that itch went away. In fact, and it didn't take all these years to go away. It went away within a few minutes. Mm. Um, and I don't know what the research says about how long an urge lasts or anything like that. I know there is some research around that. But this idea that urges and desires, they, they kind of swell and they rise like waves, but they're, they're not one intensity the whole time they rise and they fall there's like a wave pattern to it maybe it's a big wave with one peak maybe it's a wave with multiple smaller peaks but the the longer you wait with that wave and learn to surf that wave the more you can kind of just let it take you without giving into it without being pummeled by it Mm. without being destroyed by it without having to engage in whatever the desire is is pulling you into like feeling desire but not satisfying it, it'll go away. It's not meant to last.
1: I like that. I mean that that actually ties into my two-hour joy alarm practice. So yeah. while I, while I'm centering and I'm being grateful for the moment, I'm also asking myself, "How do I feel?" So I'm I'm, I'm looking for a signal in my body that I'm. There's something's either really happy and joyful or something's driving my anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. And I've I've learned from the book, The I think it's the 15 Laws of Conscious Leadership, I think it's called, Uh, and we covered this in The Leap, this coaching program that I'm in, and it says that all wants and desires come from three places, a need Mm -hmm. of approval, a need of Mm -hmm. control, and a need of um, security. Mm -hmm. so what i tend to do is like as i'm like thinking in that moment when my joy alarm goes off i'm thinking oh wow i'm really anxious okay so why am i anxious i'm anxious that i'm going to be interviewing tyler or why am i anxious because i'm going to be interviewing tyler i'm anxious because like i want everyone to like the show like i want tyler to like me i want us to connect i want it to be a really great show like oh is that coming from approval control or security it's like all right that's coming from approval like, I want approval from external validation. So then it's like, okay, so do you approve of yourself? Like, do you think you're a good podcast host? Do you think you're really trying your best? I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, if I fucking do. All right, what are you worried about then? Are you good? You got this Lee? I'm like, yeah, if I fucking got this, right? Mm-hmm. So in a way, what I'm doing is that I haven't got an urge there, but I'm still kind of using the same mechanism as surfing the urge, right? I'm, I'm, I'm almost treating my thoughts as a third party and i'm and i'm observing them and i'm saying oh this is curious this yeah. is curious there is sadness of like, like the movie um inside out there is sadness mm, there is joy
0: you know such a good movie that movie is such a, a great depiction mm. uh, that whoever wrote and directed that amazing right some kind of mindfulness or Buddhist background or, yeah. or at least was intrigued by it because that is such a good description. It's like all of these things are always present within us and it, they're just like different actors mm. you know, and in the mindfulness approaches that I use with clients, there's this uh, this metaphor of the, the stage that all of our thoughts and our feelings and all of our five physical senses, they are all actors on a stage And there is a part of us that can be an observer that can step back and watch the stage show. And often the default spotlight is on the thoughts and the feelings. Mm. But we're actually in charge of that spotlight. That spotlight is our focus, our attention. Mm. We can widen that. We can see everything else on the stage. We can move it to something else like the breath. The interesting thing about that stage metaphor, nothing is ever... Backstage, nothing is ever in the wings waiting. It's all
1: accessible on the stage all the time. It's just a matter of where's the spotlight. Mm, I really like that. That's um, one a previous guest we had, Gary Van Warmadam. He wrote a book called Mind Works. Similar mm. thing. He, he he says that our beliefs. So he, he, away from emotion, but our, our beliefs. We, we, we form them in bubbles in our mind and they're very, like they're impenetrable. And the reason yeah, yeah. they become so strong is the perspective that we take on it and the mm-hmm. faith that we apply to that perspective. And yeah. if you want to break that belief, such as I can't stop drinking alcohol and you want to create a new belief, I can't stop drinking alcohol, then you need to shift your perspective from that belief to the next mm-hmm. belief and pile in a load of faith. Yeah. So like that come up for me when you were... Saying that, so anyone listening to this, go back and listen to Gary Van Wormadam's uh,
2: episode. Everything.
1: Yeah. So talking through that then and like using this observer status and actually Gary Van Wormadam says, well, one of the things we should really do is we should process this. So processing, like taking, I, I always say this to people, whenever we, when we're locked in a battle with addiction, we're really locked in a battle with resistance. So it's mm. us against resistance, this entity that keeps grabbing our spotlight and shining it on Mr. Angry and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you use a sporting analogy, when Manchester United play at Old Trafford, Manchester United are the favorite to beat most teams because they're playing at home. Resistance home stadium is your brain, your mind, your mm. your you know, so processing like video, talking, writing. So like Gary Van Womberdam says, hey, let's, let's, let's write about our thoughts and our archetypes and our personality type. Write about them. Oh, Mr. Child, leave the Child said, mm. get a drink now. And if you keep doing it in that way, you can learn to disassociate yourself from that archetype or that feeling or that desire or that urge. So what I'm saying is to just round out the metaphor, we're playing with grabbing resistance and saying if you want to fight us, you're gonna to have to do it in the away stadium. We're gonna take mm-hmm. you away from from the from the home stadium yeah. and it's gonna be yeah. hard for you to win.
0: Yeah, I like I like that metaphor a lot. It reminds me of the the concept in in the acceptance and commitment therapy or acceptance and commitment coaching, kind of mindfulness-based approaches of this idea of defusion and it's D-E-F-U-S-I-O-N, and it's this the opposite of cognitive fusion which is where our beliefs or our thoughts we kind of just get blinded by them and we just take them for reality like this this is what i this is all i can see in front of me but if i kind of set them down over here and get a more objective stance on them i can start to see the rest of reality that that this is this is nothing this is just you know thoughts are just there's nothing tangible to a thought. There's nothing tangible to a, a feeling. So this, this, this idea of unhooking or or defusing from a thought or a belief can be so useful.
1: So surfing an urge is, is 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 I imagine is a having an open mind, B having deep introspection, and C experimenting and failing. So like you literally do have to sit with it and then probably get a timer out. And time yourself to see like how, I mean, if you do get the time out though, I guess you're not being very mindful, but you know, there's, yeah. there is a hypothesis you can create an experimentation here of like, how long do these urges even last? So let, imagine you have the story that, oh my God, I had to, I have to drink every time I have this urge because I, I need to quiet these voices in my head. I hear that all the time. I just, mm-hmm. things just gonna top of me. The voices were too loud. I needed to get rid of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm let's take a different perspective and let's be a bit more analytical. How amplified were these voices? What were they? What did they sound like? How long did they go for? Mm -hmm. Very often you'd be looking at like, Oh wow. Okay. That went on for 15 seconds before I reached over and grabbed the brandy. Can I handle 15 seconds? You know, Mm
0: -hmm. or could I handle maybe 20 seconds next time?
1: Yeah. And, and, (laughs) and look, and look at, look at like, how many people have had transatlantic flights. I don't know how many have, but I work with people who want to quit smoking, who have to be reminded that they have regularly been on 15-hour flights without smoking a cigarette. And we have to remind them that what happened? Did you die? Did you combust? Did you you go insane? No. Mm -hmm. Because what happened was you surfed the urge and eventually it disappeared.
0: There were reality demands that
1: prevented you from,
0: from giving in, which we don't have that many reality demands in our day-to-day life that prevent us from doing the things that we want to do. Mm. But there are those times when the reality demands of like a transatlantic flight will impose such a restriction on what we're able to choose for ourselves that we start to learn... Oh wait, that isn't that's more of a desire. That's more of a want than a need. And our our brain doesn't really know the difference. <laughs> no, our a good brain point. doesn't know the difference between a desire and a need. Mm.
1: That is that is something that I've obviously I've heard about a lot, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy and stuff. But it yeah. is something that I haven't actually impressed upon in my practice a lot, which I should do actually. Yeah. You know, it's really getting people to differentiate the difference between needs and wants and desires.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So thank you for that. I think that's really important. Yeah. Uh, some Another story comes to mind. that's like really funny, actually I've said it before, but David Burns who wrote uh, feeling good and feeling great. Yeah. He tells me, it's, he, he talks about exposure therapy, which is, ge- I guess what we're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so he said, <laughs> there was this woman that came to him and she's like, you know, I've got this fear of elevators and it's like screwing up my life because like I work on like the 25th floor or something, you know, and it's making my life out. And he's like, Well, I can help you, but you're gonna to have to expose yourself to it. She's like, oh, I'm gonna have panic attacks. And he's like, That's okay. Like I'm like I'm trained to deal with that. Like, would you trust me? And she's like, Okay. So he's like, they get in the lift and they go up to the twenty-fourth floor and she's like panicking and shitting herself. And she's like, I need a fucking bag, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna have an heart attack. And he's just like, Oh, just calm down, you know, you'll be okay. And then they go back down and then they go up again. It's like, oh, no, no, no. And this goes on for a while. And then he says, and then like an hour later, she's just like, look, David, let me get out of this fucking elevator because this is so boring right now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because it's just how, how, and I really do think that this part, this part, uh, this is just a really subjective view, right? Um, But this part, terror, and this part, story. Yeah. You know, when I, when I stopped drinking, when I stopped drinking alcohol at uh, uh, 35, and I was asked about meaning and purpose and stuff like, and, uh, oh no, when I was challenged to see the value in alcohol, I didn't want to let it go because I didn't want to admit that I, I wasted my life in 35 years, which is obviously an overstatement, but mm-hmm. I need, I needed it to be real. I needed the pain and suffering to be great so I could, so I could hold my status mm-hmm. and say to people, the reason I drank for so long is because it's so hard, but it wasn't so hard for me. And sometimes I feel ashamed to tell people mm. that because I think, why would they hire me?
0: Because you're, because the fact that you quit was so easy.
1: I don't understand them. Yeah. I have, I yeah. can have no empathy. This guy thinks it's easy. He obviously doesn't know what he's on about because it's so hard. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I believe that that's a story. This is a story. It's part of, I believe that alcoholism is an invisible, violent and dominant belief system. And I think a part of that is the story. Like Google top five most addictive drugs in the world, alcohol's there. Mm-hmm. Like you try to say to anybody, quit drinking. Alcohol, I would get rid of my wife before I'd stop having me beer. It's <laughs> it's a it's a story. It's like it, it's essential. It's yeah, like drinking yeah. water.
0: Yeah, right, right. Again, the confusion between what is a desire and what is an actual need. And yeah, and people go through withdrawal if they've been drinking too heavily. But that's another story.
1: <laughs> well, the pe- the people that come to one thousand days sober and strive, they withdraw physically four or five days max. Mm-hmm. The people are the people I see. Yeah. Anyone anyone is going to be worse than that, or their life is in danger. They're not they're not with me, right? Right. They're, yeah. they're at a they're at a hospital, or we send them to a hospital. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's always going to be a psychological battle. Whereby surfer the urge the urge is really important, and a, and a recogn and a yeah. you know recognition that. When we're giving in, we're giving in because we want to give it what David Burns calls outcome resistance.
2: Mm, mm-hmm. And
1: I, I really, really want a pint. Yeah. So I'm gonna have one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know. Um, yeah. one other thing I wanted to talk to you about was um <gasps> Ai go. There's a there's a saying in Korea, because I live in a Korean household, it's like the only saying I saw, I go. Basically, <laughs> it's like makes <laughs> means like, what the fuck? I go. I walk around this whole house going, I go. I, go. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wasn't sure what was happening. <laughs> whenever I say to somebody, I'm working with someone who's trying to stop smoking, for example. And then they say to me, oh, no, I had a cigarette yesterday. I'm like, what do you have a cigarette for? Wow, I was bored. Like, whenever I hear that, I'm always like, I go. Part of. <laughs> There's part of me that's like, how the fuck can anybody in the world be bored in today's society, right? There's that aspect of it. But then there's the other aspect of it that is like, what actually is boredom and where are people getting confused? So yeah. how, like, as somebody who studied meditation and mindfulness, where would you put boredom in that? What's the difference between boredom and mindfulness, for example? And, you know, I'm interested in your thoughts on
0: that. Yeah. It's it's so interesting you bring that up because I was literally just having this conversation with a client earlier today. (laughs) Good. Um, Maybe not in as much depth, but um, there's an aspect to mindfulness that, you know, even, and going back to the exposure thing that you brought up, like mindfulness practice is really about kind of, it's kind of like exposure to your own thoughts, your own experience. It's asking you to sit and allow and come face to face with the things that we normally distract ourselves away from. And so sitting with that, sitting with the busyness in the, in the mind and starting to develop a relationship to that such that you're not buying into the story that I need this to stop in order to feel good or that I need to stop in order to be productive or I need, I need all this busyness to stop. There's nothing boring about sitting with your own thoughts. If you've done it for any length of time, you know that your mind is creative enough to come up with a lot of stories. So there's nothing really that boring about sitting down and doing a a meditation. It's that sometimes it's uncomfortable. I think of boredom as, as not like there's nothing to do or there's nothing interesting, but I'm just not actively interested in what's here. I'm not actively interested in silence. I'm not actively interested in just sitting here and appreciating the view. There's an aspect of mindfulness that is about cultivating curiosity and becoming curious about the breath and just noticing, you know, I'll use the breath as an example because it's so often used in these practices. It's like becoming curious about what does it feel like for the breath to enter your nostrils in kind of a cooler temperature and then kind of flow down the throat, expand the chest, maybe have the shoulders rise a bit, maybe it fills the stomach. And then noticing that pause before that inhalation turns to an exhalation and then following the breath as it releases naturally and kind of comes out at a warmer temperature than it went in. And what does it feel like for the shoulders to kind of relax a bit on the exhale for the chest to drop a little bit? And then there's another pause at the bottom of the exhale before the breath turns into another inhale and all this stuff is happening on its own. And because it happens so automatically and on its own, the mind gets bored and checks out and it's like, Oh yeah, but what about dinner? Or what about that thing that I said to my boss or, geez this what else is there to do here like the breath i don't need to pay attention to the breath i'm not doing anything with the breath i don't have to make it happen it's going to be fine let it just do its thing let me do something else so it's about cultivating this curiosity with what's here even if it's happening on its own
1: it reminds me of um, what you just said about my views on short-term instant gratification and long-term the lens of long-term thinking so you know, I believe that alcohol offers you no value, or cigarettes. When you look at it through the lens of long-term thinking, as opposed to short-term, yeah. Yeah. and that—that um, that what comes up for me, you know, when you describe, you know, I'm drinking because I'm bored, is like a short-term, instant gratification fix, and an instant and a short-term viewpoint. But if you mm. extend that to long-term, you could say to yourself, actually, if I keep drinking when I'm so-called bored then I'm never going to be able to cultivate the presence and awareness that I need to start being a man or being a woman, as opposed to doing, you know, being a human being yeah. that does stuff. That, that's been like, you know, if I were to like say, like my biggest challenge in addiction has been uh, my connections with my those closest to me. Hmm. So I drill that down even further, my wife and my kids. So, my battle with addiction has always been how do I connect with my wife and my kids? But you go one deeper than that and say, actually, my battle with addiction begins and ends with me learning to be like, to be a man. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a man? You know, and, and one aspect of being a man for me is like holding space and listening so you know how to provide for your family. Like, you need to be a real acute. Imagine like back in the the, uh, the day when, you know, we we're all living in caves with spears and stuff, mm-hmm. how present a man must have had to have been to protect himself, his tribe. Like he's super present, right? Like there's yeah. no room for, bo- there's no caveman saying I'm bored. Like super present. I think it's Sam Harris that says boredom is just an indication of a lack of awareness.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. 100% agree. Yeah.
1: And there's there's an interesting thing, kind of
0: going back to that more evolutionary kind of perspective. There's this book that I, that I really, really has, has deepened my understanding of kind of more of like the scientific and anthropological proof of the Buddhist experience and the Buddhist claims. And it is uh, Why Buddhism is True by Robert Wright. He even teaches a course on Coursera that is... Is, is basically the book, the book. <laughs> in class form. But he talks about how, and, and a lot of mindfulness teachers will talk about this idea that back in caveman days, if someone sat down and tried to contemplate a blade of grass, they were probably kicked out of the tribe for being lazy and not working hard enough to, to sustain the tribe, or they were picked off by a wild animal. Right. So the DNA that got passed down was kind of an anxious, worried, danger seeking or not danger seeking, but danger averse and and danger kind of trying to plan ahead to avoid danger kind of DNA that we inherited. Mm -hmm. It's only natural that we get caught up in this desire to not become still. But I think that is our modern, that is our modern task as humans is to learn to get back to, can I just be still? Because all these things that I'm worried about are not actually life and death threats, the way my body, my system, my brain is interpreting them. Mm. It's not actually dangerous to experience an urge and not give in to it. But every fiber of my body, my being, is going to say, I need this. Like it's going to be excruciating if I don't. Mm. And in kind of on a subconscious or unconscious level, it almost can feel like. I will disappear. I will <laughs> disintegrate if I do not satisfy this urge or, or release this tension. Mm. It's almost like a fatal, a fatalist kind of prediction.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you said release that tension, that's why like we're always training people have your trigger toolkit to do things that does release that tension, like exercise, etc. <laughs> but I really do believe that ultimately the key has to lie in like getting into the ring. Sitting down and saying "Give me what you've got" and realizing you can take yeah. it every single punch, and then when it's tired out, yeah. Bop, bop. Yeah. Yeah.
0: there is not a single thing. And take this with a grain of salt, but as a mindfulness practitioner, my firm belief is there's not a single thing that can pass through the through your mind that will harm you or damage you. Yeah, I agree. There's not a single thought that will actually harm you. Mm. Only actions can harm you. Yeah emotions can't harm you all the rage in the world cannot harm you all the rage in the world that you feel cannot harm other people it's only the actions that you take that will harm you or other people Mm. so can i can i learn to sit and tolerate the feelings and the thoughts the internal experiences and recognize them as not lethal as not dangerous Mm. yeah it doesn't mean they're not unpleasant (laughs) doesn't mean that at all But it's kind of this distress tolerance skill that that you can build up over time with this kind of practice.
1: Yeah, I also like the, um, when you say like the, the, it doesn't, you know, it's unpleasant as well. Like what my school of thought lately is whenever I'm, whenever I get that unpleasant feeling that could go into overwhelm or borders around overwhelm, it's an indication to me that something really cool is around the corner and I'm scared Mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so like I have to do a video shoot on Saturday and I don't want to, I don't want to do it. So I feel overwhelmed. And then I realize that my body starts to create defenses and stories and justifications why I shouldn't have to do it, which is very similar to addictive behavior. So Mm -hmm. now I'm teaching myself, oh, you don't want to do that. Oh, you got to do that. (laughs) <laughs> like, that's my that's my new saying. If you don't want to do that, you've got to do it. I don't want to stop drinking alcohol. you've got to do it. You don't want to go on the strive methods for addictions course because it costs too much money. you've got to do it, right? like that's how I'm thinking at the moment, and so far, it's working out all right, yeah. you know,
0: yeah, um one of the things that a lot of the meditation teachers will say is that anxiety is often just an indication that something really deeply matters to you, mm, yeah it's a warning that something is on the line. It's not a warning that something bad is about to happen. It's just a, a warning that this matters to you. And it's just taking so, it as that.
1: So pay attention, folks. Tyler Watson, thank you very much for being a guest on the oh, really? 1000 Day Sober podcast. If you want to learn more about Tyler or work with this wonderful gentleman, then get over to www.1000daysober.com. Click on the podcast page. You'll find a page just for tyler with his beautiful mug on there and all the links to how to hire him how to check out his stuff and all that kind of thing and awesome. uh hire him work with him wonderful fella very knowledgeable tyler thank you very much for being on our show
0: thank you so much for the opportunity to to meet with you and speak with you on these things i love it it's good I to really see you. appreciate again. it
1: just another reminder, folks, that if you want to work with Lee davy that's me, and the rest of the 1000 Day Sober coaching team, then get over to www.1000daysober.com and book yourself a choose yourself call with me or a member of the 1000 Day Sober team so we can see if you're a good fit to take the Strive Method for Addictions course, the Strive Method for Relationships course, or just join the Strive Support Team. And If you're feeling in a really, really serving mood, please rank and rate our podcast at whatever podcast platform you do or spread the word around social media and tell people to come and listen to us. Thank you very much. Love you all. Bye.